Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I am currently sitting here on this fabulous Thursday morning, drinking my coffee, going over my hodgepodge of notes that I have for this episode because it is a bit all over the place. It's going to be, you know, a little scattered, but in the best possible way because that's how we do over here. So of course, I do want to kind of start out the episode uh, with some updates, just some life updates because it has been officially a month that I've been here in LA living full time. So I just wanted to kind of go through just some of the you know ups and downs and what it's been like so far. I have a lot of questions. I've been getting very specific questions in the DMs. So I'm going to address some of those, just kind of, you know, like unpack. Like you guys are, you know, my close friend that we're just chatting over coffee about how things have been. You know, when you like see someone, you're like, oh, like, you know, how was this or how is that? And then you just like listen to them talk and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what you guys are going to be doing. So we're going to do that in the beginning. And then, of course, I have a story for you guys, uh, one from history, of course. It's about another socialite. You guys know I covered Rebecca Harkness' story a few episodes ago. She is uh, the the socialite, the the woman myth, the legend from many of Taylor Swift's new songs. But today I have another socialite I'll be talking about from a different uh, part of the United States, a different time in history. And I'm so excited to tell her story today. I feel like she is largely forgotten and largely unknown. And I really do, moving forward, um, want to cover a lot of just those type of people on the podcast. People that, you know, aren't extremely, they don't have recognizable names. You don't really know who they are. I've never heard of them because those are the stories that I think are most important to tell. um, The ones that could be forever glazed over in history. So that is going to be in the latter part of the episode. I do want to get started with just some life updates, you know, talking about myself because uh, I guess that's what we're doing because you guys have a lot of questions and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll talk about myself. I was recently explaining to someone um, the premise of this podcast and like what I talk about and like really what the the theme is because I feel like typically a lot of podcasts are the interview style podcasts where they focus on health and wellness or a very specific niche category or a niche style and I feel like I have none of those things. I really just sit here and just pour out my brain which is by no means organized so yeah I was trying to explain it was actually a reporter that was asking me for this article um, she's running somewhere and I was just like you know what I I tend to talk about the things that I care about and that's really all and like I care about a lot of stuff so it really ranges from history to theories, philosophy, what I ate for breakfast, uh, martinis, dating, relationships, just like really a hodgepodge like of everything that I care about in one place. And I don't know, I, I need to listen to some more podcasts, like more out there things that I have not come across before. So if you guys have recommendations of podcasts I should listen to, please send me a DM. I would really appreciate it because I feel like I am, I listen to a lot of podcasts, don't get me wrong, but I do feel like I listen to maybe like the same kinds of podcasts, plus like my crime stuff and like, you know, my, I listen to some history podcasts, but and like news podcasts, but for the most part, it's like very lifestyle based. And I like probably should get into some more like niche subjects. So you guys let me know what I should be listening to. Please shoot me a DM. So earlier this week, I put on Instagram, hey guys, what do you want to hear about on this week's episode of Thick and Thin? You know, like send me a DM or whatever. I feel like side note, I'm like one of the only people that ever does that because I think my my suspicion is, um, I, I feel like I'm so last minute with the pod. I feel like so many people 
like really premeditate their episodes, really work on them like weeks in advance and like do that thing where they, they batch record. I think that's what it's called, where they like have like a bunch of episodes like in the queue and they're like putting them out slowly. I am the complete opposite of that. I am a train wreck in comparison. I literally record my episodes the morning before I post that or like the morning of the morning of Thursday when I post in Thursday afternoon or like sometimes evening, depending on how my morning was and how hungover I am or whatever. That's a little bit crazy. I'm not getting like hammered on a Wednesday, but you know, anyway, I'm extremely last minute, but regardless, back to what I was saying, I put on Instagram, what do you guys want to hear about? And a lot of you guys were saying, talk about, you know, expectations versus reality of LA or just like what it's been like in LA, what things have you noticed, you know, are different from New York or like, just like overall reflect on LA so far. And I feel like I already like hit the nail on the head with LA and like talking about my move and everything. But you know what? I can I can have more to say. There is more to say about this move and about what I've realized about myself. And I actually, I just went ahead and made like a little bulleted, you know, list of literally like one word per bullet, but like things that have changed about my life in such a short period of time and kind of what it means in long term or like what it's it's done to me, so to speak. And so I have in my notes, it's been a month living in LA. Here are some reflections. And then like, five bullets. So number one says car. Once upon a time when I was a very cynical human being and just like always honestly being super transparent with you, I was just super anti LA for a very long time. And my selling point to my argument, whenever I got into these like arguments or not arguments, that's like a big strong word, but you know, like just like talking about, okay, New York versus LA, like what's, what's the better city or the better place post-grad. And I always, you know, came back to the argument that, you know, in LA you have to drive everywhere and you need a car. And in New York, you don't, you can just hop on the subway or walk everywhere And that is true. Um, I do kind of miss the just overall mobility and how easy it was to get places in New York. But I also will say it kind of took the same amount of time that it takes hopping in your car here and going somewhere. Like getting on the subway, it's like not like a five minute ordeal a lot of the time. Like it took me 20 minutes to get to work on the subway each day. So I will say having a car out here, we're we're currently using Hannah's car. while she's away. I think I discussed this on a previous episode. I'm going to eventually get a car, but for right now we just kind of need one, especially as we're living in COVID times and not really going crazy places. Like the craziest thing we've been doing is like going to the grocery store, which feels like we're getting into like an elite club because there's a line around the block outside of Trader Joe's. Like you feel like you're like getting in line to go to a bar for like sweaty overpriced vodka sodas or something. Anyway, but where was I? Oh, a car. (laughs) So we have this car that we've been sharing out here. And honestly, guys, like I didn't know, or like I did, I had a car in college, but like how life-changing it is going to Target and having a car where you can get as much as you want, not just what you can carry. I, for so long in New York, was only buying what I could carry home, which honestly is probably a good thing, like in the whole like, you know, celebration of minimalism and like you know, only getting the things you need. Like, it's probably great, but like the feeling of going into Target and knowing you can get whatever you want, not just what you can carry. It's like a very liberating, very freeing sort of mentality. So, (laughs) and having the car, honestly, like we drove to this hike the other day. Um, We went on this hike in Los Leones, which is in... um, Palisades, Grand Grand Palisades. Is there another word in there? I don't know. I'm getting used to the geography, but it was like over kind of towards Malibu um, in LA. We went on this hike and we drove over there. 
like a 15, 20 minute, 20 ish, maybe a little more than that drive. Um, but it was like during rush hour, but there like, isn't really rush hour right now. They're like kind of is, but because of COVID, a lot of people aren't going into the office, of course. So there isn't as much traffic out here. I will say, I know a lot of people do say like, oh, there's so much traffic in LA. Haven't experienced it yet. I know I probably will, but like right now it's been okay. But we drove on the PCH, the Pacific Coast Highway, in like like during dusk, and it was like the most beautiful thing. Like the the palm trees were just like silhouetted, you know, against the the sunset, and it was just like the prettiest drive. And I was like, oh my god, why did I not have a car? Like just driving with the top down in your like convertible on the highway with with the palm trees everywhere. Like that is such a vibe that I just didn't know I was missing. So having a car has been great. Um, <laughs> number two bullet cat. So number one is car, number two is cat. You guys know if you follow me on Instagram and have seen my recent vlog that I put out that I like, it was like literally a labor of love. That vlog took me so long to edit. So please watch it. It's on YouTube. It's um, just like my most recent video on there. So definitely check it out. But so we have a cat living under our roof. She is one of our roommates. Her name is Piper, Piper Grace Garcia, the first. Um, we, so I was with Julia when she adopted Piper in college. So Julia spent a lot of time at this one animal shelter in Burlington, North Carolina, which was right near our college. Um, and she spent so much time there that she fell in love with this cat, this like tortoise, total like mutt of a cat, like have no idea what her real breed is. And like, is just the cutest cat with like bright green eyes. Um, at the time she was like super scrawny. She was, I believe, so now she's six. So she was like, I guess like one, two back then, like one, I don't know. I have to ask Julia, but they found her eating glass out of a trash can in like some small part of Burlington. I don't really know where they found her. Um, so they brought her into the animal shelter. Julia met her. The rest is history. Now she lives under our roof because of course Piper goes where Julia goes. And now that Julia is my roommate, I now have Piper under my roof as well. And she has been a great guest, <laughs> a great roommate. She uh, tends to hide under my bed a lot of the time. Yep, she's there right now. I can see her in my mirror. But every morning at 8 a.m. on the dot, she jumps in bed with me and like gets right on top of me and does the kneading dough thing, you know, and like cats like knead dough or they make biscuits. That's what people say. Um, she does that right on my bladder. As I'm waking up and, you know, when you wake up, a lot of times you're like, I have to pee. And yeah, it's it's something where I have to do that thing where I pretend like I don't have to pee so I can like enjoy the cute moment. But I have to pee. So I eventually have to move. But she camps out right on my stomach, which is really nice when you're on your period and you need like that extra warmth right there. She like really does provide that. But yeah, so she has been a great addition to our little family. Um, she is going to be around for you know, in my Instagrams, in my YouTube, all that stuff for a long time. So get used to it. I have a cat in my life now. For a while, I thought that I was kind of allergic to cats because I do have really sensitive skin. So when I was around cats, sometimes I would have like a skin reaction, but I've actually, I guess, grown out of it or I don't experience it with this type of cat. Like, I don't know what it is, but we are going to actually babysit one of our friend's cats starting today. So we're going to have another cat in here. So should be interesting. We'll uh, keep you posted on that one. Okay, so that was number two. Number three bullet, roommates. 
So as you guys know, I was living alone in New York and I really did pride myself in that. And I did, I did enjoy it. Like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like pretending to enjoy living alone. I definitely did love it. And I think I, I could do it again and I probably will at some point, like, you know, some years down the line. But I think the real, the real kicker was of course COVID and You know, when I was living alone, I was still seeing my friends and, you know, meeting new people, going on dates, like going places every day after work or even during the work day because I'm freelance. So I was doing a lot of socializing, you know, pre-COVID times. And now that we're in COVID times in New York, I was terrified to go out. And like I would very, very rarely see my friends even then I was you know not spending a whole lot of time with them just because there wasn't a lot to do in New York at the time when I was there I've I've, you know recently seen that a lot of stuff is like slowly opening in New York because they are they are on the mend but back when I was there there was like really not a lot to do like really drinking and eating was like the only thing and I honestly feel like it's like a lot of New York in general is drinking and eating so you know I was seeing my friends once a week and that just wasn't enough stimulation socially for me I am a really independent person and I do like I do close my door a lot here living in this type of environment whether I do have roommates and stuff like I I do close my door I do have my own alone time but I still have the option to be around people or when I've had like a long day of work and I want to just like talk to someone I don't have to FaceTime them like they're here so there are some perks I do you know want to address I know a lot of people have been asking like oh do I regret living alone for so many years, aka two and a half, but no, I don't. I think that living alone really teaches you a lot about yourself. And especially if you're moving to a new city, living alone really, you know, gets you in that real deep, real fast. Like you have to learn how to fend for yourself completely, find, you know, how you're going to eat, how you're going to do your laundry, like all the little things that for so many years, like a lot of our parents did for us, like you're thrown into the thick of it real fast when you live alone. So I don't regret it. I loved it. Um, I could see myself living alone again, who knows, but for right now, I'm really happy with my two roommates. Um, yeah. Okay. Number four, (laughs) salt water. So I said this in the last episode, it was like literally in the title of the last episode, but I thought that it would, you know, it needs to be in this list. Going to the beach like every day and being so close to the ocean has just made me so much happier, so much lighter, so much just like sunnier of a human, I feel like. I think a lot of you guys have even noticed this. There's a lot of comments on my recent video that you guys have noticed that I just feel like I seem like a lighter more carefree, happier person out here. And I attribute 90% of that to being so close to the beach, being so close to the salt water and being able to go for a swim every single day if I want to. And I don't know. I just think that, you know, growing up on the water, I did grow up on the water as a kid and, you know, my parents still live over there on, you know, the, the East coast, but on the water nonetheless. And I feel like part of me is always known or wanted to return to that type of life, but it just didn't work out in the given moment that I was in. And, you know, I didn't go to college on the water. I was like pretty landlocked with where I went to school or at least like I didn't like venture out to the coast ever when I was in North Carolina. So it's definitely been just 
it's just crazy because as a kid, I'd, you know, go to the beach and then, you know, that sad last day of vacation feeling where you're like, oh, like it's the last day of vacation. How did it go so fast? You know, that feeling. And now I'm living the type of life where I open my window and I smell the salty breeze from the ocean. And it's like so close. I can almost see it from my window right now. So yeah, it's definitely affected me internally. I just feel so much lighter here. I feel you know, I've had kind of this like anxiety creeping in over the years that, you know, just like little anxious moments. I wouldn't say I have anxiety by any means, but just like little anxious moments where I feel really overwhelmed and really just really overly critical of myself in a given moment and really just, I I can't even describe how it feels, but it's definitely something that I've been you know, struggling with over the years. And I feel like I have far less of those moments out here and I feel just extremely at peace with myself. And I know that, you know, if things don't go my way or if things aren't amazing in any given day out here, it's okay because the ocean's right there. Like it's okay. The ocean's still moving and the waves are still beautiful and glistening and there's sand and it's going to be okay. You know, so (sighs) overall salt water, really great. Okay. So number five on my list, um, is new workflow. So a lot of you guys did ask me in my DMS about working out here. Like, is it hard to focus being so close to the ocean or living with roommates? And like, you know, I was so focused and so work oriented in New York. Like, do I feel that being out in LA where it's like, you know, notorious for being slower, being a little bit more relaxed, like has it affected my workflow? So, The first thing I want to note is my desk is triple in size compared to the one I had in New York. And I like, I just wanted to say that because you'd be shocked how much having a larger workspace makes you just a better worker bee. Like you are just more focused, more in tune with your work when you have space to spread out. And in New York, in my 600 square foot apartment, I didn't really have that much space to do so and I did always kind of feel like I was a little overwhelmed with my workspace and I literally purchased a dining room table out here and I'm making it my desk and it was the smartest thing I ever did it's from hearth and hand like the magnolia um joanna Gaines, that collaboration for target and it's the dining room table it took me 20 minutes to put together I did it all by myself well partially Julia had taught me like prop it up because it is really heavy but for the most part did it very much on my own and it was like super easy. So highly recommend this desk. I linked it on my Instagram. It's in my, um, my highlight for my LA apartment. So check that out. But having this new desk and this new, you know, I have all these huge windows in front of me as I'm working. Honestly, like I'm a big aesthetic person, a big, like, you know, piece of my workflow and just my work ethic comes from feeling like I'm in a good aesthetic zone. And I like have, the space and the beauty around me to create and be creative and all that stuff. And I feel like I have it here. And I feel like I didn't ever really quite get it in New York only because I didn't have enough space or I don't know. It was just like more difficult to find space for a big desk in New York. And I think a lot of my friends that live in New York will agree with me when I say that. And, you know, of course, I did have a corporate job for two years where I had a huge desk. But, you know, freelance, you have to you can't skimp on that. You need to give yourself what you what you need to create. You can't just be like, oh, I'll be fine with this like little sliver of a desk. Like do what you got to do to create best. Like what is what is your ideal 
you know, creation station. Ooh, I like that. So anyway, um, that played a huge role in my new workflow, just like having this big space. And also I just feel like I was (laughs) to a fault, a little bit too focused in New York, a little too work oriented, a little too, um, ambitious with my deadlines and ambitious with my to-do lists each day. You guys know I'm the type of person where I wake up and I make a to-do list for my day and for the things I need to get done. And in New York, I feel like I was stacking like 15 things on my to-do list, which no person can do 15 things in a day, like 15 major things in a day. And I was just super ambitious because I felt like everyone around me was, and that's how it was and how it is in New York. And that's great for some people. But for me, I feel like I needed a little bit of a reminder that I don't need to do everything. Um, You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. We know that. So why do we treat it like it was, you know? So honestly, it's been it's been a nice fresh or breath of fresh air. That's the quote um, to have this time to to kind of slow down and this kind of um, contagious energy out here that people are just super. Um, I don't want to say like relaxed, but I think people are relaxed, but I think in terms of work, people are just really understanding, I think is a good word or respectful of the creative process because for creative people and for people that have maybe non-traditional jobs, you know, your create creative bursts and like the times where you're productive and the times when you have the stamina to create things is going to look a lot different, um, you know, for certain people versus others. And so I think that the people out here, I, I just, they tend to understand that a bit better than New York, but I don't want to like say that totally. Cause I do feel like there were some, like a lot of really respectful creatives in New York that really understood that too. But I don't know. I just, I find that it's so hard to put into words. I know like in my next six months, I'll be able to like articulate this a lot better, but even in my first month here, I can already feel myself not only creating better stuff, but also just feeling a little less anxious about what I'm working on and about how much I'm doing and all of those little things. And I'm not looking over my shoulder as much kind of comparing myself to other people. I feel like I'm really doing what I want to do, you know, still working, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm creating like way better stuff out here. I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm more proud of what I'm making out here than what I was making in New York. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that I feel I'm giving myself permission to play and to try new things and to, you know, mess up if that, if that's what's going to happen and it's going to be okay. I don't know. I just have this like changed kind of mentality with my workflow. So that's definitely changed a lot for me, but you know, end of the day though, big desk, life-changing game changer. (laughs) So this episode of Thick and Thin is sponsored by Glad Skin. And let me tell you a little bit about them. So I personally don't know about you guys, but I love good news in my life. And earlier this year, I made a YouTube video where I opened up about my biggest insecurities. It was super difficult for me to film, but I felt like it would really help so many people. And it really did. And the video was actually all about my struggles with eczema, which has bugged me for years. I've had the most horrendous, just painful eczema on my hands, on my arms, on my face, under my eyes, just really in various parts of my body and it's been a massive insecurity of mine. I've had to cover up my body with clothing and just different accessories, just being so fearful that people would see my eczema and not to mention it was super uncomfortable. And I discovered Gladskin Eczema Cream about like 
six months ago, I think now, and it's really changed my life. Gladskin scientists actually found that nearly all people with eczema have a bacterial imbalance in their skin, meaning their skin's microbiome is just out of whack. And Gladskin eczema cream with microbalance is so much more than just another moisturizer on the shelf. It works by rebalancing your skin's microbiome and providing relief from that itchy redness situation that I just, I know so well because I've experienced it my whole life with eczema. And I noticed a huge transformation in my skin after only two days of using it. It's just amazing how quickly and efficiently it works. Um, It's a really unique product and I've noticed so much change in my skin. I use it twice a day or more than that sometimes. And it's just really unique. It's um, already been a proven solution for eczema relief in Europe for five years and it just became available in the US this year. Wish I knew about it sooner. It's different from steroids and traditional over-the-counter moisturizers because they don't rebalance the skin's microbiome. What's worse, they actually contain preservatives, which kills all the bacteria, even the good bacteria that's needed for healthy skin. So I like to say that Glad Skin works smarter, not harder, making it safe for everyone, even little babies as young as three months old. You just apply it twice a day, daily, even on sensitive areas like eyelids. I get it super bad right underneath my eyes and it's a really sensitive area and I don't find that it really irritates my skin at all. It doesn't at all. I have very sensitive skin. And even when your skin feels fine or you have no flare-ups, it's good just to use as a moisturizer. Um, It can be used proactively to keep eczema under control and you can't overuse it. That's not a thing. So it's free of steroids, fragrances, preservatives, and drying alcohols. It's been clinically proven to reduce eczema itch and redness. And there are no drug side effects. It's been clinically tested. It's hypoallergenic, dermatologist recommended, and accepted by the National Eczema Association. And you can get it shipped right to your door at gladskin.com and it's backed by the gladness guarantee you can try it risk-free for 60 days love it or your money back if you guys suffer from eczema or know someone that does definitely try out glad skin i have been such a proponent of it for so long because i believe that it truly does work and i use it myself twice a day so be sure to check it out get some for yourself and use my code katie 10 that's k-a-t-y 10 for 10 percent off any 35 dollars plus glad skin purchase and that includes standard free shipping so use my code k-a-t-y 10 on gladskin.com for 10% off. But yeah, so back to what I was saying about my bullets and the overall LA reflection. I think overall, just, you know, everything I discussed is working so nicely with just my growth as a person. I feel like I, I genuinely do feel as though I can really learn a lot about myself out here. And I feel like I am really moving in the right direction in terms of, you know, getting more comfortable with myself and just, you know, accepting myself in certain ways. And, you know, I've always had these certain insecurities like body image insecurities and, you know, overall measuring up insecurities like, am I enough? Am I the same, you know, as other people? Am I less than, you know, all that stuff. And I feel like being out here has really made me realize that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I can take my time and accomplish things at my own pace. And I can't be always comparing myself because that isn't a life. It, it isn't a life if you're constantly only doing things because of other people or doing things because you think you have to and things like that. And moving out here has been a huge step in the right direction for me, I think, as a person. And I saw this thing on Instagram. Um, a few people uh, with 
decent followings reposted it. So I'm sure you guys have maybe seen it. But I feel like I definitely saw it for a reason. And I oh, almost just knocked my entire coffee cup off my desk. That would have been tragic. Um, but I feel like I saw it for a reason. So I want to share it with you guys. Um, it's from the username Create the Love. And it says, some people finish college and start careers at age 22, only to find themselves unhappy and starting over when they're 35. Others start working a minimum wage job at 16 and work their way up the company ladder, retiring happily at age 50. Some people get married at 25, only to divorce at 27. Others marry when they're 50 and spend 40 years with their soulmate. Some women are ridiculed for becoming teen moms, but end up living to meet their great-great-grandchildren. Other women get pregnant at 40 and are ridiculed for putting their unborn child at risk. There is no, quote, right way to do life. There are no timelines. You are not late. You are exactly where you should be. And I like got chills again reading that because I feel there is a pressure to at age 25 or whatever have a pretty, you know, solid 5-year plan and I've said this in the previous episode, I think, but I hate 5-year plans. Honestly, screw 5-year plans. You know, plans in general, I think are nice, but five years, five-year plans, those are extremely limiting and really puts you in a box. And I don't like that at all. I've really learned out here to, you know, abandon the idea that I need to have it all to plan and figure it out. And I really like how I'm living now, just very much in tune with what feels right and what, you know, from a personal passion side of things feels right. And yeah, I'm just honestly very happy with how I'm living now, kind of not so attached to the idea that at 25, I need to have everything figured out. Not to say I'm even 25 yet. I'm turning 25 in like, I think a month and a half. What day is it? Oh, wow. It's exactly two months, two months from now to the day I'll be 25. Insane. 27th of October, whatever. Anyway, so I wanted to share that. Um, we're now like 30 minutes in. I want to get into the story that I wanted to share with you guys today that I was like really secretive about, like very tight-lipped about in the beginning because I want to tell her story with like some suspense thrown in there, like really up my storytelling game. I don't know. You guys have maybe noticed my storytelling has gotten better over the months and I hope it has. So taking you guys on a little trip back in time on the 10th of April, 1912, a large dazzling ship carrying over 2,000 people set sail on its maiden voyage through the North Atlantic. Atlantic Ocean. It was on a journey from Southampton to New York City, and the ocean liner carried some of the wealthiest people in the world, as well as hundreds of emigrants from Great Britain, Ireland, and Scandinavia, all of whom were seeking a new life of opportunity in the United States. The ship struck an iceberg in the night, taking 1,500 people down with it into the depths of the North Atlantic Ocean, never to be seen again. The ship, of course, was called the Titanic, and today we're going to talk about one of the passengers aboard the ship that you likely have never heard of. I don't know about you guys, but over quarantine, I really caught up on some of my favorite rom-coms my favorite just like romantic movies like a lot of the movies that I like honestly forgot existed like Titanic I feel like I hadn't seen Titanic for years because it honestly like really makes me cry every time honestly so I rewatched it over quarantine and you know as I was researching the story of the socialite I'm going to talk about today I noticed that she actually existed in the movie but her story was not at all given justice. And I find that a lot of us, when we think about, you know, the Titanic and the tragedy that happened there, we think about these fictional characters, Rose and uh, what was the guy's name? Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever he plays. I forget. I'm like going to get roasted for this, but Kate Winslet or Leo. And we don't really like think a lot about the people that were actually on the boat. 
So anyway, today I'm going to talk about someone you guys likely know nothing about. Her name was Margaret Tobin Brown, aka the unsinkable Molly Brown. Um, Her name is Margaret. A lot of people call her Molly or Maggie or things like that. And I was told, well, not told, but I was reading in, you know, all of my historical accounts that she really didn't ever go by Molly. She never went by Molly, actually. She preferred Maggie. But for the sake of this episode, we're going to call her Margaret. So Margaret Tobin Brown was an American socialite, philanthropist, and a Titanic survivor. She has an incredible story, so let's take it back to the very beginning and go chronologically as we do. So she had extremely humble beginnings. She grew up very modestly in a small town of Hannibal, Missouri, uh, also home to Mark Twain. She was born in 1867. She was one of eight children to Irish immigrant parents. And, you know, they really hit home, her family really hit home the idea of hard work, the importance of hard work. And when she was 13, she worked in a factory and eventually she followed two of her older siblings to Colorado where they went to go work in the mining industry which was huge there and she found some side work sewing out there and that's where she met another immigrant named James Joseph James Joseph Brown who was a mining engineer and she ended up marrying James Joseph JJ as we know him um, in 1886 for love not money and I say that because eventually they will make it big and strike it rich but at the time he wasn't a wealthy man he was self-educated and immigrant just like Margaret so she fell in love with the guy um, although in her journal she did say quote I wanted a rich man but I loved Jim Brown. I thought about how I wanted comfort for my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself as one who could give the old man the things I longed for him. So like her dad. Jim was as poor as we were and had no better chance in life. So essentially she's saying, you know, I wanted a really rich guy to help my father, you know, through it and give him what he deserves and, you know, all that. But I fell in love with Jim Brown. JJ, Jim, whatever his name is. The two of them got married in September of 1886, and they had two kids in a very small little cabin uh, somewhere in Denver. And their wealth actually would come seven years later when James bought stock in the Little Johnny Mine out in Denver that ended up striking gold. He'd go on to be actually one of the most successful mining men in the country, Uh, after this and he just overall struck it really big was in the right place at the right time you know how it goes so by 1894 the couple would actually grow their wealth enough to purchase a $30,000 Victorian mansion in Denver which was a lot of money at the time as well as to build their own summer house there and this provided the the family with um, you know enough social clout to really climb the ladder and really you know make a name for themselves in this town and in her social circle Margaret actually really advocated for women's rights she was a founding member of this feminist board in Denver where women discussed heavy subjects for the time like literacy and suffrage human rights like those sort of things and she actually personally raised funds to aid impoverished children throughout Denver all these things like she really did care about you know human issues and things and not you know, things that she really needed to care about, but she did care. And sadly, JJ and Margaret separated in 1909. I'm not sure why, it's really unclear, but regardless of the fact that they were legally separated, they both remained really civil, bonded throughout the rest of their lives, you know, continuously in contact with each other and their two kids. And they actually both continually dedicated themselves to different social works and fundraising projects. Like both of them were really into that philanthropic stuff, Um, but they were separated in 1909. 
So that brings us to a very big chapter in Margaret's life, the Titanic incident. So while Margaret definitely was wealthy enough to be on the Titanic just for fun, as many of the guests were, you know, just to see this revolutionary thing, this huge ship that like had never been done before, you know, that sort of thing. She was actually on the Titanic uh, for a pretty you know, grim reasons. She was heading back to America to see her very sick grandson, Lawrence Palmer Brown Jr. So while on the ship, a lot of passengers didn't like Margaret because she was new money. And, you know, the whole power struggle between new money and old money and, you know, new money being like dirty money and mining money, you know, fishy, not like rooted in, you know, years and years of lineage and history and all that. And so people disliked her on the ship. The the old money people disliked the new money people, you know, as it goes. And so Margaret wasn't extremely well liked. And actually, if you look at the Titanic, the movie, the one with Kate Winslet, um, this is actually kind of discussed in the movie. Kate, her character Rose, discusses it a little bit. Um, Margaret was featured very, very briefly in the movie. Um, She's like the older woman with like the crazy outfits. Um, But anyway, So the last minute plans to board the Titanic, she really, you know, got on last minute to see her sick grandson meant that, especially in those times where there weren't cell phones, no one really knew that she was on the boat until it was sinking or after it was sinking, I guess. And so the Titanic sank on April 15th, 1912 at around 2.20 a.m. after hitting an iceberg at about 11.40 the night before. So it took a little while for the the boat to fully sink. Um, But, you know, as evacuation started to take place, Uh, from the boat, Margaret really, you know, swung into action. She was the first to help people onto the lifeboats, you know, and as a wealthy woman, especially, you know, women and children, especially the wealthy ones were boarded first. And she was not the first to get on a lifeboat. She was one of the last, actually. She was helping people get onto the lifeboats. And when she realized that the boat that she eventually got in was under capacity, she reportedly urged her fellow passengers and the coxswain, the guy that was, you know, leading the charge of getting the boat out of there to head back and rest rescue more people and apparently was unsuccessful um quartermaster robert hitchens that was the guy that the coxswain of the boat the person that was in charge of the lifeboat she confronted him to go back and get more people and he was just you know spewing out all these things like oh what if you know the lifeboat gets pulled under because people are so desperate to get on or like the suction from the boat going under would like take them down with it and he was just like no we can't go back She was like, we need to go back. And reportedly, she became so angry that she threatened to throw him overboard and also had to be like restrained by fellow passengers because she was so hype about going back and getting more people. So it's unclear whether they went back. But, um, you know, regardless, Brown really like got to it, like worked very well in time of crisis. I would probably be freaking the fuck out, but she allegedly, you know, urged all the women in the lifeboat to grab their oars and start paddling because apparently of the people in the lifeboat, only three of the men were able to row. I guess it was like some older people on the boat. So she urged the women to grab the oars, start paddling keep warm until help came. And one of the men on the boat actually tried to stop Brown uh, from having the women, you know, row. And she reportedly ignored him and continued passing out oars and organizing the rowing efforts, which I just find is so crazy. Like even in times of crisis, I feel like gender roles somehow are so 
like a thing in this time period and I just can't, I can't get over it. Today's episode of Thick and Thin is sponsored by Skillshare. You guys know I've talked about Skillshare so much recently because I just feel like it's the best possible time to get into Skillshare and learn something new because we do have a bit more time on our hands. We are in our apartments or in our houses, kind of, you know, twiddling our thumbs a little bit. So Skillshare is there to teach you some new skills with some online classes and uh, just a community that really understands. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. You can explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and just get lost in creativity. There's multiple class topics that I am super passionate about on the site that I'm just constantly diving into, like productivity, freelance and entrepreneurship, uh, film and video. There's some others like, you know, graphic design. Of course, I love illustration, photography. There's a lot. There's more than a few topics that I like on there. A lot of you guys have specifically asked me how I've gotten so good with Procreate, the app for the iPad, which I use to draw and sketch and write all my hand lettering stuff. And I've learned a lot of those skills from Skillshare. There's a class on there right now about floral pattern that I'm about to take, which I'm very excited about. So yeah, they have a bunch of classes in just various realms, Procreate being a big one as well. Um, and just illustration. So I really love Skillshare. You guys know I've talked about it a lot, so I definitely love it. Um, It's just easy to break up your routine of, you know, a day spent indoors, things just getting super monotonous with a Skillshare class. So definitely check it out. As always, I do have a special deal for you all. You can explore your creativity and get two months free premium membership at skillshare.com slash thick and thin. So two months of free premium membership at skillshare.com slash thick, the letter N, thin. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Definitely check it out while you have the chance and let me know how it goes. So that made her one of 700 survivors of the Titanic. Of the 2,000 people on board, only 700 survived. And she honestly was a huge part of getting you know, even that many people to survive. Like she really did assist and help, you know, board people and rally them and all of those sort of things. And in an article she was interviewed afterwards, she was quoted saying, quote, typical brown luck, we're unsinkable. And then, you know, because of the heroic acts and this article, there was a 1960 Broadway musical created based on her life and a film adaptation and all that in 64 that was called, quote, the unsinkable Molly Brown. So she in history is largely referred to as the unsinkable Molly Brown, although no one ever called her Molly, apparently. Um, And in a letter that she wrote to Helen, um, I think is her sister, Helen was her sister, to let her daughter know that she was doing okay, she said, quote, after being brined, salted, and pickled in mid-ocean, the other survivors of the wreckage were, quote, petitioning Congress to give me a medal. And then she also joked, quote, I must call a specialist to examine my head due to its title of heroine of the Titanic. She sounds like a total riot, like I wish I knew her. So usually Margaret's story stops there, and that's all anyone really knows about her, but there's a little bit more. So in the hearings that took place after the sinking of the Titanic, you know, they had people on the stand giving testimonies, kind of just trying to figure out the blame, you know, who was to blame for the sinking, what happened, all that stuff. And, you know, she founded this committee called the Survivors Committee, and she was a chairman on the committee helping all the survivors of the Titanic, especially 
especially those who were immigrants and people that were poor to find funds to just get their lives back in order. And despite being a chairman on this committee, she wasn't allowed to testify in front of the Senate about the sinking because she was a woman. Luckily, she would later write down her story in this three-part article for Rhode Island's Newport Herald. Um, But at the time, she wasn't able to testify and to give her side of the story in front of the Senate because of her status as a woman. And this really, really struck a chord with Margaret. It really bothered her of all of her accomplishments and everything that she did in her life. You know, this was something that she always looked back on and was really bothered by it. Honestly, I'm angry for her and I just, I can't imagine going through all of that to really help this tragedy and being a part of the tragedy and not being able to give your side of the story. It just sounds infuriating. Uh, But, you know, she didn't let any of this stop her. She, in 1914, actually became the first woman to run for Congress. And this was eight years before women even had the right to vote in the U.S. And apparently this wasn't like much of a surprise to people that knew her because she was really, you know, politically involved in Colorado, especially the Colorado chapter of the National American Women's Suffrage Association. So she ran for Congress, and that's incredible. I feel like no one really knows about that. And then after that, um, she actually organized an international women's rights conference in Newport, Rhode Island. So she was a big feminist, very philanthropic, and she did some other stuff too. In World War I, she actually established a relief station for soldiers in France and was given the French Legion of Honor for her efforts with World War One and Titanic um, in 1932. So she did a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff she didn't have to do. Um, but, you know, through and through, she was a working class girl who pulled herself up by her bootstraps, managed to strike it rich, but never ever forgot where she came from and what she was capable of based on you know her courage alone. She was quoted as saying, money can't make a man or woman. It isn't who you are nor what you have, but what you are that counts. And I think that that quote really sums up her life. You know, she gave back in so many ways when she didn't have to. You know, she knew how lucky she was, though, to have earned the money that she had and to have survived a tragedy like the Titanic, which is, I think, why she dedicated her life to using her money and her status to do more. Um, She later died of a stroke in New York City when she was in her 60s, but her legacy would, of course, live on. We're talking about her today. And, you know, I think one more thing I do want to note is her dresses. So she, if you look back at photos of her, Google her, um, she had incredible style. She wore a lot of vintage gowns um, from Europe and Asia and all this stuff. And she set the trends in Denver, apparently. And I believe all the dresses that she used to own are on display in Denver somewhere now. But I just love that about her. I love that this woman was so badass, had this like incredible style, like crazy outfits and like feathers and all that stuff. And, you know, she was just one of those very classic, you know, unapologetic women that I love talking about on the podcast. So one final quote we're going to leave you guys with today um, from Margaret Brown is this. I am a daughter of adventure. This means I never experience a dull moment and must be prepared for any eventuality. That's my arc, as the astrologers would say. It's a good one, too, for a person who had rather made a snap out than a fade out of life. Okay, so that is it for our episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing about Margaret Brown and just my life updates and all of those things. And I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Bye.